The Guardian. Hello and welcome to Media Talk. On the show this week, Leveson, the good lord, asked the questions. This week, David Cameron came up with some answers. We'll ask what next for press regulation. And all change at the Independent. It's moving to a seven-day operation, merging print and telly. Is that the future? And what will it take to make that work? Meanwhile, more arrests rock the sun. There's another series of Charlie Brooker's Black Mirror to talk about. And there he was for your delight and delectation, having once again swallowed his dictionary. What did we think of Stephen Fry at the BAFTAs? All that and more. I'm Hugh Muir, and this is Media Talk from The Guardian. And joining me this week are media journalist Maggie Brown and presenter and gadget columnist Ollie Mann. Welcome to both of you. Hello. Hello. So tell me about your week in media. Oh, I, I spent Valentine's Day on a sofa with Lorraine Kelly, the fulfilment of many a teenage fantasy. Just the two of you? Uh, no, there were some cameras there as well. So where it happened? More's the pity. <laughs> I'll tell you who was there actually with the parents whose uh, baby got bitten by that fox and they were getting the exclusive on Daybreak. Father turned up wearing a tracksuit for that interview. Honestly, big big interview on daytime. Turn, turn up wearing a tracksuit. <laughs> he was just relaxed about it. I mean, it. I know it's a human interest call. story, but yeah, surprised by that. Uh, Maggie, your week? Oh, I've had a wonderful week. Um, I went to a very packed BBC drama launch on Monday, which was the moment when you suddenly thought, ah, oh, the BBC is back in sort of business, promoting things, self-confident. And it was one of those events where the stars and the star producers certainly outnumbered the journalists. It was a big surprise. Nobody was actually expecting this kind of razzmatazz. Great. OK, well, uh, more of things dramatic a bit later, but first this week, we need to talk about Leveson. Ten months after the landmark report on the good, the bad and the ugly of our national press, the arguments have flared up again. The government has spent ten months thinking about it all, talking to people, and it's come up with its plan to keep everyone happy. Uh, media correspondent Lisa O'Carroll is here to tell me whether they, they got, they've got anywhere near. What have they come up with? Um, well, I suppose the thing we need to make clear is um, that we have been waiting two months since the Leveson report came out for the Tories to come out with their blueprint. We've had Labour's, we've had Lib Dem um, indications as to what they would support or not. Um, Labour and the Lib Dems and hacked off all wanted statute. They wanted this new regulator to be backed by statute as recommended by Leveson. Um, Cameron made it absolutely clear from the get-go within an hour of publication that um, this would cross the Rubicon and threaten centuries of press freedom. And they came up with this fantastic ruse to um, introduce a royal charter, something that the BBC has and the British Council has, to establish this regulator. But the blueprint we saw for the first time, there were lots of drafts going to and fro between the parties and between Hacktoff and indeed newspaper groups over the last two months. But we finally saw all the detail of it on, on a Tuesday. So what they're doing is they're setting up a body... Um, which will audit the regulator every three years. They're setting up the regulator. And um, a little bit more detail, um, taking up uh, the Levison recommendations to have the powers to investigate newspapers, uh, to uh, impose fines of up to a million, something Maria Miller was boasting would make it the toughest regulator in the world. And there are also some other interesting bits and pieces, like for the first time the Tories are suggesting the regulator would be able to regulate news sites which um, would be interesting for the likes of Guido Fawkes, who is absolutely implacably opposed to being regulated. How can they regulate him if he won't be regulated? Exactly. It's an opt-in. We've got to remember this is an opt-in. It is a self-regulatory system. So if he opts out, he won't be regulated. So, so those are, are the headlines. There's been a lot of talk about this royal charter. Um, what difference will that make? Well, um, people are still kind of uh, coming to terms with it. I think the Labour Party, what's interesting is the Labour Party so vehemently 
from you know from the the very the very beginning, Ed Miliband got up in the House of Commons and said he wanted Levison um, implemented in its entirety. Were his words? They're kind of um, rowing back on that, and I think what we're looking at is that everybody will sign up to this royal charter. But what we don't have is a royal charter accompanied by a statute which would underpin this regulator. So the Tories think this is, you know, they've magicked this scheme up and um, there's still a lot of anger about it among Hacked Off, Jerry McCann, talking earlier this week on Monday saying that the sick culture that ended up him and his wife being labelled murderers and being accused of selling their daughter Madeline to slavery to pay off a mortgage. People like those will never be satisfied. But if I was a gambling woman, I would predict that... Labour Party will row in behind this royal charter. So a watershed, Maggie, does it feel like that? Well, I hope it is, but I think it's still uh, very murky. Uh, I I was actually at an event last night with Maria Miller. She rushed in from uh, the Commons and uh, it was meant to be a television event, but uh, she got pretty ambushed. And, I mean, there are so many questions that still remain. And what I also understand is that if you have a royal charter, I think the Crown will only have a charter if... It's unanimously supported, and at the moment I hear what Lisa says, but quite clearly there are still many, many, many queries raised um, about how it will actually operate. In in some ways, I'm surprised that Lisa is quite as optimistic about it going through because uh, it seems to me that we're still a long way from anywhere. One of the big problems here, you know, is really that, that as we can see with the arrest, many of the press still believe that they are basically... They, they were not to blame for the position that we've come, in, we've, we've come to. So the further we get away from Leveson, yeah. almost, the more that kind of sense of a backlash, I feel, is building. So Let me just bring Ollie in. Ollie, does this um, feel like the beginning of the end or the end of the beginning? Well, <laughs> that's, I'm not going to try and unravel that question. <laughs> but, but I do think that actually maybe there was a strategic mistake by David Cameron in allowing this discussion to actually happen. You know, at the time, it felt like, oh, we're going to consult with everyone who works for all the newspapers and see what they think of these recommendations. But actually, if it had just implemented it when Leveson suggested very explicitly what it was that should happen, I don't think anyone at that time would have been expressing the doubts that Maggie is explaining. I mean, they may have you know, said them to their colleagues down the pub, but they wouldn't be coming out and saying, yeah. we cannot have this, we cannot have that. Because at the time, everyone said, whatever Lord Justice Leveson says, he's Lord Justice Leveson. That's the point of a senior judge. If you're in a court... If I was in a court on an offence and a senior judge like him gave me a verdict, I'd accept the verdict. Mm. And I think the whole point that now everyone's discussing it, you know, has very little public sympathy, actually. Because you've sort of gone back to a la carte, which is not what was expected. Well, what was all the money for? What was all the inquiry for? Well, I, I, I'd disagree with you there. I think the inquiry was just an amazing 10-month exposition of the working culture of the press. He's a criminal barrister. You know, it was quite apparent during the inquiry that, he, you know, he learned as he went along. Mm. But he hasn't got the... You know, they, they don't actually know how a newspaper lives and breathes organically every day. Um, and I, I think I definitely have heard it from some newspaper newspaper people, senior people saying, yes, if they had just implemented the um, statute-backed option on November the 29th, that we wouldn't be here. But as Maggie says, the devil is in the detail. And what yes. this Royal Charter stuff doesn't do is it doesn't go into the detail, which is where the newspapers have the problem with exemplary damages, how the arbitration unit will work, 
That's where the problems and are. Well, stuff, I, he, he mentioned Ofcom, the big, big problem. Yeah, what happened to that? Of the, that's one of the things. And what was wrong with that? Blocks. That was just because newspaper everybody, editors saying everybody, we don't everybody, everybody dislikes Ofcom, and they've seen its operation in the broadcasting field where broadcasters are required I think to that's not good that enough. That's not big, a good enough reason was, not to do that it. That was the big, big, big flaw in his report in terms of having it adopted by the press. Well, obviously, that doesn't mean it's gone because obviously all the politicians are still talking. There are still cross-party talks. But the... Uh, the whole process is making a lot of people very nervous, especially those who specialise in investigative journalism. Uh, David Henke, the former Whitehall correspondent of this parish, um, now freelancing for various websites, Exaro News being one, is one of those who's very nervous, and he joins me now. So, David Henke, it's a new framework for journalism, but uh, as an investigative reporter, why are you so worried? I'm particularly worried about the provisions over journalists having to disclose or being challenged to disclose information they may hold on people while they're investigating them. I mean, if I go back to the cash for questions scandal in the 1990s when I was investigating Neil Hamilton MP and Ian Greer, even though we had complete protection for any information we held, um, Neil Hamilton was writing to the then editor, Peter Preston, um, not realising he had sanctioned the investigation, asking him to call me off from looking at it. And, and I fear that under the new system, that even if journalists have a public interest uh, defence, they're going to spend half the time fighting off the people they're investigating while they're in the middle of investigating them because they will use, I think, any means, actually, to obviously prevent a story coming out. Because throughout, Leveson was saying that he wanted... Uh, proper investigative journalism to, to continue in the public interest. Do you feel he's failed to strike the balance? Or do you think the Tory interpretation of what he gave them fails to strike that balance? I think it's probably both in one sense, because I don't think, um, with all due respect to Lord Leveson, that um, he is at the sharp end of this. He uh, probably doesn't realise that if you're actually pursuing a story at the time, even if you're given um, a fair amount of protection, you're going to be actually dealing really with really difficult people, and actually possibly in some cases nasty people who would uh, go anywhere to stop this uh, coming out. And if there is some new mechanism, they will use it to the full to actually um, try and frustrate you. What do you think they should do now then? What kind of protections would you like to see? Well, well, I actually would like to see that, uh, the, the, that they still kept, even though um, I can see the case of, uh, in the sense that people would accuse News International of abusing this system. They actually kept some um, journalists right out of this area where they might have to disclose details of either their sources or information they had until the investigation was completed. And I can give you one example of something else I was following up. I... Uh, discovered some in one case and started asking questions of a figure about how they'd managed to buy a house for cash costing about a million pounds and they immediately employed lawyers to wrongly say it's libelous to even ask this. Well I don't want them being able to say why are you you know getting this information or how why what you know and demanding what reasons I might have. Okay David Henke thank you very much. Thank you. Lisa, um, he was saying he'd almost like to go back to where we were. Is there any chance of that? No, I don't think there's any chance of that. Even the newspaper groups who are so opposed to much of this say that, you know, they don't like it, but they have to accept it.
Oh, do you think we're striking the right balance between protecting the public and, and, and getting rid of some of the abuses that obviously were there? No, I, I think they should have implemented it as it was. I, I think that the inquiry happened for the right reasons, which was a lot of wrong things had happened. And I think unless it gets implemented, the same wrong things will happen again, just quite straightforwardly. There was, all, there was just a reminding... Um reminded this week of an interesting comment that was made in the House of Lords when they had their Levinson's debate and there was uh, one of the peers stood up and said he, he gave this uh, quite emotional account of um, something that had happened to him in the 90s when his wife had committed suicide and he said it was dreadful, it was dreadful for his children it was the worst period of his life but he said this was the price to pay that um, there was a price to pay for the freedom of the press so I mean I think we've always got to remember that there will be some collateral you know, in order to speak truth to power, to find out what crop people, 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 as David said, you will come across nasty people. People want to hide things. People in power want to hide things. Well, I think what's interesting is if that does happen, then the vacuum will then get filled by the internet, which you know famously was not very well addressed by Leveson, as, as you were saying earlier. Uh, and I think that's the area that isn't. This doesn't even begin to cover. And actually, you can't even begin to police. I mean, Google are at the Court of Appeal this week talking about if someone puts something defamatory on Blogger, is it their responsibility or not? You know, are they akin to the publisher? Or are they akin to, I don't know, the, the manufacturer of the paper it's printed yeah. on? Uh, and the truth is they're sort of somewhere in the middle, aren't they? It's really complicated. Yeah. It is the responsibility of the person who writes it. On the other hand, it's other third parties who come in and publish it and distribute it pretty much in the same way as newspapers, but then they don't legally have to take the blame for it. So uh, it's not perfect to have investigative journalism obviously happening in corners of the internet. Obviously, that's WikiLeaks, isn't it? But it is something. Um, I disagree. Investigative journalism is takes, you know, David Henke would take months and months to cover something. He has to be paid to put food on the table. You know, it's very expensive, the end of journalism, and it's seriously under threat. I don't think, you know, the internet blog, bloggers like Guido Fox are... You could describe them as invest- investigative journalists. No, well, I'm saying it might be quite dangerous that that fills the vacuum. That might be, an, you know, mm. an unpleasant side effect of it. Hacked off have made it clear, you know, that the, the campaign representing people who were traduced or, or abused, if you want, by the, 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 the press previously, have made it clear they're not very happy with where we are. They're not even very happy with the Tory version of it. How much power do you think they have? Because obviously theirs is a very emotive case, isn't it? Well, they do have a lot of power, and they have power uh, because they have access and influence, and they have uh, a lot of uh, very smart people um, and committed people uh, driving their campaign. But uh, Maria Miller said last night, actually, rather pointedly, that you have to remember that to have this discussion and this negotiation, you have to have the newspapers in the room too. They have to be part of it. Okay, we must move on, but... uh I'm sure the Sundays will have a thing or two to say about the Cameroonian blueprint. And if you want to keep up to date with this story, you can do it on our website, uh, guardian.co.uk forward slash media. Also this week, a big departure and a big announcement. John Mullin, for the past five years, the editor of The Independent on Sunday, has walked. Why so? Because the organisation is moving to a seven-day operation. Chris Blackhurst, who edits The Daily, gets the Sunday train set to play with as well. His operation will share resources with the Evening Standard. Already the indie business and sports desks have merged. All the others will follow suit. And together they'll all muck in and produce London Live, the new local TV news station to be opened by the Standard and the independent owner Alexander Lebedev next year. Maggie... We've been here before. Do these seven-day operations ever work? I don't think they do, no. Um, The only thing to say for it is that the uh, editor of the Evening Standard can have the uh, one day off a week, at least, and she can start thinking about the Sunday and maybe bring a bit of independent um, 
uh, thought to it. it no, these are, these are very tough things. I think actually something quite different is going on. Uh, uh, people are underestimating the amount of investment that London Live is going to have and the priority that Lebedev is going to give to it. I've spent uh, a couple of days this week really looking at the local TV situation and reading uh, you know, the full application and the reasons for the award, etc., etc. And when you read it, it becomes very, very clear that Evening Standard Television is being given the priority in terms of investment. And so uh, there, there's, not only are the standard journalists going to be trained to go in and do what we're doing now, but on, on video, you know, talk about live yeah, news yeah. events... Everything in that newspaper operation is going to be uh, focused on feeding, whether you like it or not, uh, what is, in many ways, uh, a juicy television franchise. Remember, they're not paying for it. They get get the eighth uh, button on, uh, on Freeview. And they already have their papers are there to sort of feed really now a complete multimedia operation. Now, I don't know if it's going to work or not, but when you read the application, even if some of it is pie in the sky, uh, that's where the investment is going to go. So I see this as very much part of a a new uh, move by and it's in I think it came out after they had won this license, yeah. which was incredibly heavily competed for. And you, you can't really blame Lebedev for wanting to put that money into the TV channel, I think, because I know that the Independent proudly boasts on its masthead that it's free from influence and all the rest of it, but, you know, it's not. <laughs> and he put money into it, presumably, so that he can have influence. That's why these newspaper magnates do that. And this is where the influence is. Growing well, Evening also, Standard, now it's free, now on yeah. TV as well. Well, I mean, yes, it's gone to 700,000. And also, if you believe, we don't know because it's a privately owned company, but it's supposed to have turned the standard round into a profit. Yeah, a million profit last year. A million profit, right? yes. I mean, the independent is, of course, a more uh, troublesome uh, operation in terms of doing that. And I, I, I think what we're also missing the point, really, that this is all also, also about control of the London advertising market, the local advertising Lisa, market. Lisa, are the journos happy? Uh, well, I was just going to say, I think the trouble is, is the money. You may think there's a lot of money going in here, but there isn't. But television is extremely expensive. They're getting £5 million a year via the government from the BBC licence fee. I spoke to Alexander Lebedev, Evgeny's father, in Moscow um, earlier this week, or at the end of last week. Um, and he told me they're going to put in another 30 to 35 million over the next two and a half years. It's not a lot of money. That's to cover the Evening Standard, the Independent, Independent on Sunday, the Eye, and a TV station. If you consider, I think Newsnight would probably cost 100 grand to produce, at least. Mm-hmm. Good top drama, a million quid. They're not going to make drama. They say they have this agreement with Pax. No, they're not. But how interesting, how interesting will it be to listen to journalists from the Evening Standard and the Independent? How interesting. It's going to be radio it be, with, with, it w- on video. It's radio with video, and, and it's the costs of radio. That's what, that's what the, the, everybody's it, saying. It, but on it, the it, other hand, make you, you have on? to remember, make you you have to to remember they get free, they're getting a free ride with, 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 with the spectrum, with, with the television spectrum. And secondly, I, I agree, that there's some subsidy from the BBC, which is isn't a huge amount. It's a 12-year licence, though. And to be absolutely honest with you, it's surprising that uh, London isn't really seen as almost the equivalent of an ITV franchise. Whether he's got enough money to do it, I don't know. He may be able to attract investors I think you're absolutely right. It is a very, very valuable franchise, and it's Mm. a very valuable part of the spectrum. And we used to have London weekend television. It is very valuable. There's a complete mismatch between 
the plan and the investment ITV level. London, why do you need? Yeah. Do we need to go? Well, I think, IT, I think I think I think ITV ought to start getting quite worried about it actually, because oh, once you've got, I think so. Once you've got, they're not going to have anything to match the X Factor, <laughs> are they? <laughs> but, no, but in no, terms uh, of news and local and local interest, and uh, there's a lot of money to be made out of uh, putting forward events for people to maybe buy tickets for. And things Ollie, like do, that. Do, do you think that uh, having form. reporters and uh, as presenters and, and producers? Isn't that just a recipe for crap TV? Well, I do appreciate the irony of us having this discussion on a Guardian podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's perfectly possible to take people across disciplines that work in print and get them to talk on TV, uh, and people get better as they go along. Um, I agree it might not be the most compelling watch when you come home in the evening and you're comparing it to the ITN-produced ITV News at 6.30 or whatever it is. It is going to suffer by comparison with that, but... Yeah, the Independent was going down the toilet before Lebedev bought it. Actually, I mean, at least, it's a bit like global radio, isn't it? You might not approve of the fact that, at the end of the day, there are less opportunities there for talent to come through. Um, There are less programmes, fewer programmes being made. But on the other hand, by conglomerating everything together, selling advertising against it as a group, you can at least guarantee that all those stations survive and that the stuff that is there is of a certain quality. It's kind of like that, isn't it? I mean, they've now got a media sales operation, at least, that can sell the Independent seven days a week, the I seven days a week, the Evening Standard... and a TV station as well, that is quite compelling. You can see that even if they're losing money, you know, there's a shortfall between what they want to do and, and what they have, that there is a theory there that they can have more powerful selling. So, Maggie, are the Lebedevs desperate or are they pioneers here? Is this a, a path that others will probably follow? I'm going to take a deep breath and I'm going to say I think they're pioneers. Okay, well, uh, you can keep up with that and all the other breaking media stories on guardian.co.uk forward slash media. OK, let's do some news in brief. And Maggie, all change at the BBC. Certainly, yes. Very interesting. On Monday, we discovered that Ben Stevenson, the controller of drama, um, had definitely been wooed by Tony Hall to stay and wasn't going to ITV. And then today, we've had um, some quite fascinating news and a memo from the new incoming Director General, Tony Hall. And um, he's chosen James Purnell, who used to be Culture Secretary, but before that was being trained up as a real Bertis sort of BBC thinker. Um, and he's coming back to mastermind strategy and all I the rest of it. I thought he was going to be a community organiser in the mould of Obama. <laughs> he's gone off Indeed. that idea. Now. I think he's, well, he's obviously decided that um, a £295,000 a year BBC salary <laughs> mm. is, is, is something that might just uh, make you change your mind. But also, I mean, he wrote a very interesting, very sort of almost Bertis line article in the Financial Times uh, at the height to the crisis of the BBC last uh, November, uh, saying it needed to return really to, you might say, its its roots. And the other aspect of this too is that um, we can announce that strange BBC titles like uh, Director of Vision and Director of Audio and Music are no more. Oh, I'm going to miss them. <laughs> we've, we've got um, Helen Bowden, the, 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 the director of, uh, current Director of News and Current Affairs, going off finally to radio after eight years and five very, as she puts it, trying months. Uh, so she has sort of been moved sideways, but without music, and for the time being anyway. And we, we've got, you know, this sense really that Tony Hall is, is getting a grip, I would say, of, of things. No deputy DG, though. There was Not all that yet. fuss during the Savile scandal, wasn't well, there? BBC type saying, oh, well, if Mark Byford had still been there here, There is talk about James Harding. The yes. ex-editor of the Times. Yeah, it was in the papers this week that he would go to a big job, but presumably we just don't know the, the, what The what job, that apparently, be. that was de- being discussed was Deputy Director General. OK, I will hold my breath and wait. So I think we can take that Tony Hall is definitely going to reopen that position. OK, let's move to News International. We talked about um, James Harding, who left News International not so long ago. Uh, the latest twist in the phone-hacking scandal has seen six former News of the World journalists arrested. Uh, Ollie, did you think that this was over? 
They thought it was over. It's not. <laughs> no, it doesn't surprise me, really. Uh, and I think the, the general public at large, unfortunately, have kind of tarnished every tabloid journalist with the same, with the same brush. Tarnished? Tarred. Um, and some of these names are names that are, you know, famous. Well, they must be thinking in the newsroom, Lisa, when will this be over? I mean, I, I, I just cannot well, believe that they keep getting a paper out every day. If you think about the number of people who m- must have the, the worry and stress of what's hanging over them. Well, that's the sun, yeah. There are now 24 people have been arrested on the sun. Um, but just coming back to the phone hacking thing, what was significant about this was that police said this was a new line of inquiry. It wasn't related to the investigation, which we had kind of um, taken as read that had almost come to an end. I mean, Sue Akers, the commissioner who's now retired, her last public uh, pronouncement on this at uh, one of the select committees was she indicated that Wheating was going to be soon wrapped up. So, you know, out of the blue, these six people were arrested. And News International had shut down their in-house compensation scheme as well. That's right, which it seems a bit premature now. They were talking about reputation, salvaging the reputation and, you know, moving on, closing this chapter. But it looks like they might, might have to reconsider that now. So when will it end? Let's talk just quickly about the BAFTAs on Sunday. Did we all, did we all watch? Indeed. I did. And uh, Stephen Fry, uh, once again, plundering the dictionary for all he was worth. What did you think? Awful. Now, why did you think awful, Maggie? Oh, I just thought he spoke on and on and on. I couldn't understand why, understand why he had this ridiculous beard. And I just... <laughs> I think I, that's I, the to have thing, a beard. The only thing I, I think is, is probably better than, you know, having Jonathan Ross there. But I, I just did not enjoy his performance. I, I mean, I th- I, I'm not going to uh, take anything away from Stephen Fry. He is a legend. But I did think he looked a little bit nervous this year, which was I'm not to say that I wouldn't be nervous if I was hosting the BAFTAs, but you wouldn't necessarily expect it from him, having, to done, it, having done it so many times before. He stumbled over a few of his words, and he seemed a little bit like he was a rabbit in the headlights right at the beginning of the ceremony, I thought, which was a surprise. And Paloma Faith, for God's sake, is there an event? Paloma, what dirt does Paloma Faith have on the industry that she's at everything? <laughs> I mean, who listens to Paloma Faith? I didn't she looked extraordinary. She did, but that's not enough. The thing about the BAFTAs that I was really, really thrilled about was that my favourite actor, Daniel Day-Lewis, did get the Best Actor Award for, for Lincoln. Lincoln, which I, I regard as the most magnificent film. And oh I know you don't like it. It's boring. Go on, quickly, f- boring. quickly, four. Why? Because it's fantastic. Because it actually brings to life a, a, a wonderful, wonderful uh, American president. Stop, who Ollie. Against. Why? I, ju- I just thought it was interminable, just like endless talking. And if, if you're not very grounded in American history, which I know obviously a lot of American cinema goers are and would enjoy it, I just couldn't follow it. But that's why it's great, because instead of having special effects, CGI, this, that and the other, no. you have proper debate. It's really, it's really not dramatic. special effects. I mean, what about the social network did the same sort of thing. Lots of talking, people walking down corridors, but it was engaging. I just thought the talking in Lincoln wasn't particularly engaging. Still, it was good enough to win Daniel Day-Lewis of BAFTA. I know you two want to argue about this, but for now, Maggie Brown, Ollie Mann and Lisa O'Carroll, thank you very much. So we talk TV and the BAFTAs, now time to talk with a TV specialist, Vicky Frost, our TV and radio editor is with us. And Maggie mentioned a little while ago the uh, new drama slate on the BBC. Tell us about that. Yeah, so there was a drama launch this week where we kind of heard what has uh, some new commissions and also, it must be said, some things that aren't being recommissioned. Interesting that The Hour is not coming back to BBC Two. What? Oh, I loved it. Why? Oh, I love The Hour. I can't <laughs> I've just, but you've just broken that news to me. I'm so disappointed. Oh. There is a petition you can sign should you wish to do it. I will. I have a handkerchief um, here if you need to. It's, uh, it's dab an, your brow. It is an interesting thing, I think, because they were very proud when it came back for that second series. You know, we've got 
got a returning drama and I know it was envisaged as a three-part, you know, as a trilogy and there was, you know, appetite certainly to make that third third part but just not from the BBC, it seems. Um, I think The Hour was something that was never quite the sum of its parts, to be mm. honest. It had this great idea, great script, well, sometimes great script, um, really good cast attached to it, and somehow it never really quite came off. Ollie is looking at me like, what are you saying? I just thought it saying? was wonderful, I loved it. And I, I think, I predict what will happen is someone like Netflix or whichever American partner that they made it with initially will step in and buy it. Because if the BBC don't want it, I'm sure someone else will. It always seemed a bit stilted to me. Yeah, well, lots of people had problems with Romola Garay as Belle. I think well, that was a real stumbling block. The for two lots words of were the main reason I was watching. Romola Garay, <laughs> who I agree is a brilliant. You know, she's a brilliant. Act, she's a brilliant actress. I really love watching her, but I do think she was slightly miscast here. She always seemed far too modern. I couldn't. I couldn't really believe her. She seemed as a bit Belle, dopey to be a power sort of female journalist well yes she never understood why she was in that job she never showed any reason for why she was in that job I think that was but she's delightful so people said that about me Doctor Who in 3D yes so Doctor Who so you know still no announcement on the 50th uh, anniversary special uh, instead we just get loads of small announcements around it no sort of substantial uh, announcement on it apart from it's going to be in 3D I mean I, I feel neither one nor way nor another about this because Do we all pick up a pair of glasses at local post office something <laughs> if only I think it was it. like that I think you maybe need a new telly although it's going to be screened in cinemas as well I think um, but you know I feel like the telly industry you know for the last few years have been saying 3D 3D it's all about 3D and I just don't know anyone with a 3D TV I'm certainly not going to go and get one I think they may be good for sport but I don't you know, I just don't think it's that big a deal, really. One of the good things about Doctor Who is that, and the anniversary is that they're also making a BBC Two drama, which I think is going to be really interesting, starring Jessica Rain of Call the Midwife, and she's going to be playing Verity Lambert, the first producer who uh, put uh, the whole thing together in in the sixties. And they're actually filming it at the moment in in Television Centre, which is otherwise apparently empty. Mm. And I, I think that's I, I'm sure that's going to be something which will set up a bit, a bit more of a reflective view, really, on this extraordinary franchise which as we know was massively successful cancelled and then has come back so it's telly making more telly about telly well okay we could say that but then on the other hand the hour was that too and we appear to have rather loved it and bbc 4's thing about coronation street was wonderful as well it was and i think that's slightly what this is going to be like it's written by mark gatiss who of course is like a massive fan beautiful writer so it sounds very exciting in itself and i do think that sort of over that anniversary weekend there will be a lot of supporting uh, uh, commissions across sort of BBC channels so there, there will be sort of a big glut of Doctor Who at that point although we have got the new series first of course which comes back at the end mm. of next month What else, what other headlines were there? I'm quite interested in Atlantis which is a new series by Howard Overman who uh, did Misfits brilliantly of course and also Dirk Gently which I really liked on BBC4 and thought was a shame there wasn't more of um, so he's written this new series Atlantis which is the kind of fitting into that um, Merlin slot from what I understand um, maybe I've got that wrong but I think that's where it's sitting and of course has potential uh, you know to be honest my first thought was oh no that's going to go very wrong but actually I think with his connection to it I, I, I wonder actually whether it might come off and be a really good thing uh, really interesting um, there's going to be um, an adaptation of Death Comes to Pemberley which lots of people will be very excited about um, a three-parter um, uh, adapted from P.D. James's novel, of course. And um, then there's something called The Interceptor, 
which sounds a bit like uh, the BBC having another go at having the new spooks after Hunted, of course, was definitely not the new spooks. I don't know what <laughs> Hunted was the new, but it was the, the new not Hunt very the good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Burton and Taylor, so um, it's Dominic West going to play Burton, isn't he? Yes, so opposite Helena Bonham. He lost Bonham. one gig and he got another. <laughs> opposite Helena Bonham Carter. Mm. I mean, you know, I'm just that's just going to be fantastic. And interesting, you know, that's another announcement for BBC Four, who of course not meant to be doing any oh, more Oh, well, I had a very interesting conversation on this very point which at you the will drama tell us department. about well I'm just saying I think that I, I, I it may be supposedly the last sort of biopic or drama that BBC4 are going to do but let's just say just as Tony Hall's coming back and I said earlier a bit of a throwback uh, I think that the idea that BBC4 should be denuded of the things that have made it a very special channel uh, is going to be challenged and I would almost bet my Oh, I don't know, bet my handbag maybe, uh, not my <laughs> money, that, uh, that, 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 that uh, drama will find a way uh, to continue on BBC4. I think there's a scoop there somewhere. Vicky, let's rattle through what's on the box this week, um, Black Mirror. Uh, so Black Mirror was Monday night, uh, which was uh, the new Charlie Brooker. Um, and I think the best, this is a new set of three, and I think far better than the ones that were before it last year. Uh, so it's this idea, uh, it's sort of in a nutshell, not very well, I'm sure, summarised by me, that kind of after someone dies, they live on through Twitter and then sort of on and on and where that eventually takes you to. Is that Louise Mensch? Uh, <laughs> 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 so um starred Hayley Atwell uh, who who is just sensational I could watch her and watch her she's fantastic I think and I thought it was really quite sophisticated I thought the writing just as a drama was very strong take away all the sort of technological stuff from it and actually it stood as a drama and uh really interesting ideas great thing I thought I really liked it I know other people weren't as keen as me actually but for me this is by far the strongest of the black mirrors so far culture secretary maria miller loves it too she said she was watching it last night i don't know i (laughs) don't know what that makes me think and if there's another series charlie will put her in it (laughs) (laughs) just very quickly hughes fish fight is this something i mean i didn't know about is this like the truman show uh hughes hughes fish fight was very successful on channel four lots of awards uh, for basically... Uh, this is Fernley Whittingstall rather than Muir. Yes, yes, yeah, yes. Okay. <laughs> uh, Hugh Fernley Whittingstall uh, basically campaigning against sort of uh, throwing fish, dead fish back into the sea, basically. And now he's back with a new series and a new fight. Uh, and this is all about basically establishing more marine reserves around in UK waters because uh, the statistics are really, really shocking when you realise how few there are. Um, uh, he's so watchable doing this sort of thing, Hugh Fernley Whittingstall, because... He just really, really feels it, really believes it, and just can't believe the stupidity, I think, of people mm. who know these things and don't act on them. And, of course, that's just so watchable. Um, you know, there are bits of it that are a bit weird. Uh, there's a bit where they sort of build a seabed on the sand, which I could have done without. I'm not sure it proved a great deal. And you can always feel the meddling of the Channel 4 executives in that, can't you, when there's some overly visual demonstration of something that's really quite straightforward. And the other thing that annoys me about those shows with him is you get those shots of him on the phone to someone from Tesco, and then the voiceover will say, Tesco have agreed to meet with me, but not if I bring a camera. And well, okay, we'll do that then. That's better than nothing, isn't it? And then he just doesn't meet them. <laughs> I just... I think actually maybe it's a bit less like that this time. I don't know. But he spends a lot of it underwater and still presents quite well from underwater, which is interesting. Yeah. Well, that will be the industry standard for any everyone from now on. One more quickly. 
Um, penguins, spying penguins. The oh, this is Penguins in the Huddle. Did you watch this, Maggie? No, I haven't. I've got this saved up on my TV. I'm looking forward to the weekend. This is such an odd programme. This is like basically robot... Which channels is on? It's on BBC, BBC One, One. And it's like oh. robot penguin cams who are quite sinister and a bit like they're out of a Mighty Boosh sketch, sort of waiting on the beach for the arrival of real penguins. It's very, very strange. Are you sure you weren't watching Black Mirror instead? <laughs> yeah, <I> know. <laughs> it sounds a bit surreal. It is a bit surreal. Very odd. Actually, very interesting. Real proper, like, you know, forgive the pun, bird's eye view of everything. <laughs> um, but terrible, terrible narration by David Tennant that makes it almost unwatchable. It's so cutesy, so anthropomorphic anthropomorphic if I could say that, that word thing. we'll get Stephen Fry next week <laughs> yeah exactly yeah, or Big Beard yes I'll grow that <laughs> and um, yeah so it kind of it was sort of like both brilliant and just really uh, at the same time Vicky, thank you very much. All sounds like a good watch. Um, but we got to go. My thank you to this week's guests, David Henke, Maggie Brown, Ollie Mann, Vicky Frost and Lisa O'Carroll. Leave all your comments on our Facebook wall or on our blog. I'm Hugh Muir. Media Talk was produced this week by Simon Barnard. Thank you for listening. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.